You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 26. Greetings, ladies, gentlemen, and honored androgynes. Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm Chris Lester, your guide to worlds of fantasy and wonder. You can find more of my stories at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. This is the show where I share my fresh new fiction with you. In the last seven months, I've brought you stories of magic garbage men, gay superheroes, holy warriors in over their heads, and vampire batmorphs who work for actual vampires. Now I'm bringing you Things Unseen, my first full-length novel to appear on this podcast. So let's get right into it. Today I'm bringing you the first part of Chapter 1 of Things Unseen. If you haven't listened to the last couple of episodes yet, go back to episodes 24 and 25 to hear the prologue. The following recap does contain spoilers for those episodes, so pause it here and come back when you've caught up. Twenty-five years ago, a team of scientific explorers disappeared while investigating an apparent miracle, a lush, beautiful rainforest that grew up from the ashes of the nation of Telvar, which had been destroyed decades earlier by a magical weapon of mass destruction. The heart of this forest was the Telvari Rift, a jagged gash in the world that emanated an astonishing amount of life-aspected mana. In the effort to understand what they had found, the explorers stumbled on another miracle— an intelligent presence in the rift itself. Lightpath's biomancer attempted to make contact with this alien intellect, but just as they had finally figured out how to communicate, disaster struck. A surge of power flashed out from the rift, engulfing the entire Lightpath team. A rescue mission was soon dispatched to look for them, but it found only their empty environment suits. The explorers themselves had vanished without a trace. Our story continues, 25 years and 4 months later. Things Unseen A novel of Metamore City Written and read by Chris Lester Chapter 1 March 6th Year 2000, Christos Reckoning, Metamore City, Capital, Imperial Union of Metamore and Allied Nations. Hal? Hey Hal, wait up. Harold Rains II, Esquire, closed his eyes and winced at the voice of the man coming up behind him. For a moment he entertained the idea of breaking into a run ducking down an alley, or vanishing into a crowd of people. Instead, he stopped, suppressed a sigh, and turned around. The man strolled across the plaza at an unhurried pace, his hands in the pockets of his black woolen greatcoat. The coat was unadorned, save for the noble shield on the breast pocket, a black helmet against a quartered field of red and white, the arms of House Kapler. His gold label, A horizontal bar with three downward tags stood above the helmet and marked the man as the scion of his house. Hal resisted the urge to roll his eyes. The shield was as big as the man's hand and would proclaim his identity to anyone within thirty meters. Ostentatious and dramatic as hell. But then that was hardly out of character. 
The young noble flashed a smile that would have lit up a room. He took his hands out of his pockets and began to raise his arms for an embrace. Hal stopped him with a deep, formal bow. Lord Ezekiel, he said, in a tone respectful enough for any court lady. The formal greeting brought the scion up short. The smile faltered for an instant, but he recovered himself quickly, matching Hal's bow with a much shallower one. Hello, Hal. It's been too long. Too damned long, or not long enough. The two thoughts warred for dominance in Hal's mind. The other man seemed to sense that, and his eyes twinkled knowingly. What is it, Zeke? Hal asked. Zeke shrugged. Thought maybe I could buy you a drink. Catch up for a while. It was Zeke's usual shorthand offer, and Hal knew where that drink would lead. It was the same script they'd been following off and on for more than two years. His stomach muscles clenched, and a twinge of arousal ran down to his groin. No, damn it, I'm not doing it. Not again. I'm sorry, Zeke, but I'm really very busy today. I need to be at Drowling Tower in twenty minutes. Zeke held up a hand, palm outward. Hal fell silent. Not to worry, Zeke said, pressing a button on his wristwatch. I'll drive you there. We can have that drink on the way. Before Hal could come up with any reasonable objections, Zeke's long black skimmer pulled up to the edge of the plaza. The driver got out and held open the door for Hal and Zeke as they entered. Once they were underway, Zeke took a bottle of brandy from the skimmer's liquor cabinet and poured a couple of snifters for them. He put his free arm around Hal and clinked their glasses together. To possibilities, Zeke said. Hal held himself upright in the seat, refusing to relax. He wanted to melt into Zeke's touch, to lean his head on the man's shoulder and breathe in the rich, masculine smell of him. No, you idiot! Hal wanted to scream at himself. Not again! Never again! Hal let none of this internal struggle show hiding both reactions behind the mask of rigid formality. He took a sip of the brandy. What kind of possibilities? The exciting kind, Zeke said. The kind that opens up new horizons. He held the brandy up to his eye, catching the light from the window, watching the patterns it made as it refracted through the glass. And the kind that fulfills old promises. Hal's train of thought hit the emergency brakes. He looked up at Zeke and waited for him to elaborate. Zeke just showed him that damned, devilish smile again. The bastard was going to make him ask. Which old promises? Zeke gave him a look of mock surprise. Why, the ones about your mother, of course. Hal closed his eyes. You bastard. You complete fucking bastard. Zeke, I've heard this from you before, and I don't... Believe me? Zeke asked, mildly. I guess that's fair. I've been wrong before, after all. Hal snorted, but said nothing. But here's the thing. Zeke went on, as if he hadn't heard anything. This time I have it all planned out. Gear, transportation, cover story, alibis, and a man on the inside who owes me a favor... He leaned in close to Hal's ear, his breath hot and smelling like wintergreen. I'm going to get you your answers, Hal, just like you always wanted. Hal turned and looked at him. 
his face inches from Zeke's. The scion's dark eyes glittered with triumph and absolute confidence. This time, he was really sure he'd done it. Damn it. I can't believe I'm doing this. Hal took a deep breath, then let it out. Tell me what you have in mind. March 13th, 2000. Christos Reckoning. Tilvari Rift Protectorate. Irambi. The tropical air hit Hal like a wet, steaming blanket as he exited the skyship. He stood on the ramp and choked down a few deep, heavy breaths, getting used to the oppressive humidity. Beside him, cargo handlers drove forklifts up into the hold of the ship, where they took up the wooden pallets stacked with crates of supplies. It would take an hour to offload everything, which was a testament to the size of Kapler Pharmaceuticals' operation here. Once the hold was empty, they'd begin loading their merchandise for the flight back to Metamore. Hal could already see the huge flats of Nocturna's lilies sitting on the tarmac, their flowers turned toward the sky in a sea of white and midnight blue. Attendants moved here and there down the long lines of plants, spraying them with a fine mist of clear liquid. It might have been water, but Hal wouldn't have been surprised if it also contained insecticide or some kind of antifungal agent. The last thing Zeke's father needed was an outbreak in the quarantine wards. A group of guards stood watch over the plants, and the assault rifles slung over their backs gave Hal a good idea of how much the crop was worth. Hal put on his sunglasses and walked down to the tarmac, where a Kapler attendant stood waiting beside a small white skimmer. The man wore khaki shorts and a white polo shirt with a Kapler pharmaceutical logo. His deep brown skin and short, wiry hair marked him as a local hire. Good afternoon, Mr. Raines, the man said, bowing. His eyes were hidden behind a pair of dark sunglasses, but his smile was broad and looked genuine. Thank you, Hal said, giving him a small bow in return. What time is it here, anyway? I've been in the air for, like, fourteen hours. It is one o'clock in the afternoon on the 13th of March, the attendant said promptly. The 13th? Gods, I lost an extra day in there. The Kapler man chuckled. Yes, sir. Many of our visitors from the Empire have that response. He gestured at the skimmer. May I take you to your quarters? Lord Ezekiel is out inspecting the plantation, but he told me to make sure you are taken care of. By all means, thank you. Hal crossed to the passenger side and climbed into the skimmer. The air conditioning was a welcome relief from the Arambian heat. The attendant slid into the driver's seat, put on the control headset, and started up the lift turbines. The little craft rose to a height of about ten meters and flitted off to the northeast. Hal wasn't used to driving off-road, and he blinked in surprise when the attendant simply flew them over the line of hangars and warehouses surrounding the tarmac. Whoa, he said. Don't they have traffic laws around here? The Kapler man chuckled. Nothing but air traffic around here, Mr. Raines. No roads. He crooked a thumb at the traffic control tower in the distance. They can see our transponder signal. Keep track of where we are. And they make sure you don't run into anyone else? The man nodded. Course instructions are sent to the head-up display, he said, tapping his headset. 
I can see the positions of all the other skimmers in the area as well. Who needs roads? Hal looked out at the thick jungle surrounding the airport. He imagined trying to carve paths through all that, and then keep them maintained. Good point. It took about an hour to fly from the airport to the Kapler Pharmaceutical Compound. A cluster of white buildings stood on a relatively flat spot halfway up a mountain ridge, surrounded by a stone wall topped with razor wire. Looks friendly, Hal said dryly. There are dangerous beasts in the forest, the attendant said. The wall deters them most of the time. Behind the walls, Hal saw a series of slender guard towers spaced around the perimeter of the compound. Atop each one, men wearing the Kapler polo shirts sat languidly behind honest-to-God heavy machine guns. Each one had four barrels and was mounted on a swivel platform. One of the guards turned his gun to track the skimmer, then lowered the barrels and waved when they got closer. Hal swallowed. And those guns, are those also for the, uh, dangerous beasts? The attendant gave him a little half-smile. You can never be too careful in the jungle, Mr. Raines. They landed the skimmer on the roof of a building that resembled a hotel. A set of stairs led down to the top floor landing, where a security door stood beside a palm scanner and an electronic card reader. The attendant produced a card from one pocket and handed it to Hal. The system has already been keyed to your biometrics, Mr. Raines. Just swipe the card and put your hand over the scanner. Your bags will be brought up shortly. Thank you. Hal had misgivings about the idea that Zeke had his palm print on file, but he pushed those feelings aside. In for a cent, in for a mark. He swiped the card and palmed the scanner. The door clicked open, and he went inside. The penthouse suite was typical of Zeke and his family, extravagant and overdone. Polished marble floors and Kellaware rugs spread out below a high-arched ceiling hung with crystal chandeliers. White marble columns lined the walls, carved into the forms of beautiful young men and women. Delicate confections of blown glass sat on pedestals and corner tables, glowing with the ever-changing pastel hues of their fey-light enchantments. The couches and chairs were overstuffed and covered in white leather. An entirely unnecessary fireplace stood on the far end of the living room, illusionary flames crackling and dancing without giving off the slightest bit of heat. Hal shook his head and went in search of a bathroom. He'd only been out in the heat for a few minutes, but it had been a long flight, and he desperately wanted to shower. He found the bathroom after only a few minutes of searching. He found the woman a few seconds later. She was lounging in the oversized whirlpool tub, her head leaning back against one of the cushions along the side. Her auburn hair fell to around the level of her chin, framing a high-cheek-boned, angular face that was more striking than beautiful. Her wide, thin-lipped mouth was set in a relaxed line that mirrored the pose of her body. She was not a tall woman, but her legs were long for her size. She had a gymnast build, lithe and athletic, with small, pert breasts and whipcord muscles. Her milk-white skin was flawless. The freckles she'd once had were now erased by spell-sculpting. For most men, the sight of her naked body in a hot tub would have been a welcome one. For Hal, it sent a line of ice water running down his spine. 
She opened her eyes to slits, and a slow, feline smile spread across her mouth. Her voice came out droll, amused, but there was an unmistakable edge behind it, like a dagger dipped in honey. Hello, Hal. Hal stiffened, inwardly cursing Zeke in his perverse sense of humor. He managed a brittle smile. Hello, Lady Julia. A long silence stretched between them. Julia watched him twist in the wind, giving him nothing to work with. Well, Hal said at last, this is awkward. Julia's smile widened. Why, Hal, didn't Zeke tell you I was coming? No. Hal looked up at the ceiling. Though, in retrospect, I probably should have guessed. Julia laughed. It wasn't a pretty sound. Probably. We are almost inseparable these days. She didn't add the phrase, like you used to be, but it was implicit. She couldn't have marked her territory more clearly if she'd started pissing on the walls. The woman rose, climbed out of the tub, and began toweling off, indifferent to his eyes on her body. Misty and Sefi are here, too. They're in the executive suite on the next floor down. Hal stared at her. Misty is here? I thought Zeke wanted to keep this low profile. Julia snorted. She had one of her retainers put on a doppel charm and take her place for a few days. The paparazzi think she's on a ski trip on the other side of the planet. Hal breathed a sigh of relief. Let's hope it stays that way. Why did she want to come, anyway? The redhead shrugged. You know Misty, always looking for an adventure. Uh-huh. And what's your interest in the rift, Julie? You never struck me as the adventurous type. Julia cast a narrowed eye over her shoulder at him. I have my reasons, she said quietly. Hal crossed his arms. Like keeping an eye on your boyfriend, he suggested, making sure he doesn't fall back into any bad habits. She turned to face him then, her hazel eyes flashing. A splotchy red flush spread over her face and continued down to her breasts. Believe it or not, not everything is about you, Mr. Rains. She spat the title like an insult. I signed up for this before you did, and Ezekiel did not ask for my input before he invited you. She let that hang for a moment, then turned away and continued drying herself as if nothing had happened. We're both stuck with each other, so we'll just have to deal with it like we usually do meaning that we ignore each other's existence as much as humanly possible. Hal took a slow breath and then let it out again. And if Zeke and I decide to... What you and Zeke do together is your own business, Julia said shortly. As long as you're being safe about it, it's no interest of mine. She hung up her towel and walked past him to the door. She paused there, one hand on the door handle, and gave him one more backward glance. Just remember who's going home with him when this is over. She shut the door without waiting for a response. Hal sighed and began removing his clothes. The whirlpool looked inviting, but he didn't think he could stand it with Julia's scent still hanging in the air. He headed for the shower, hoping the hot water would wash away both the grime of travel and the bitter stains of memory.
And that's where we'll stop it for today, folks. What is Zeke's plan? Why do he and Julia want to go to the Rift? And what will the consequences be for all of them if they succeed? Find out next week. William Faulkner said, If a story is in you, it has got to come out. So, grab your scalpels and alcohol swabs. It's time for a storyectomy. Here's your weekly writing report. I wrote 8,888 words this week. How about that, huh? Over the course of 9.5 hours, for an average writing speed of 936 words per hour. That's one of my best weeks yet. As of Friday night, when I'm writing this script, I have gone 172 days without breaking my chain. I'm continuing to make great progress on The Lost in the Least, my third full-length novel in Metamore City. I'm up to chapter 9 now, with a total word count of over 30,000 words. The plot is thickening, characters are surprising me, and I'm finding that I don't have to fight for the words the way I used to. This is the way writing is supposed to be, and it feels really good to have gotten here. My Patreon patrons have funded another bonus story this month, so I'm starting to think about what kind of story I want to tell. I have a few half-baked ideas, but none that have really coalesced yet. I've put the question out to my creative council, which is everyone who's donating at least $10 a month to my Patreon campaign, to see what characters and situations they want to hear about most. If you make a pledge at that level in the next week, you can still get in on the vote if you want to make your voice heard. That includes both new pledges and anyone who upgrades from a lower pledge level. So if you want to sound off on what bonus stories you'd like me to work on, now's your chance. Speaking of Patreon, it's time to recognize this week's new patrons, Deborah and Mark. Remember, a pledge of $3 a month gets you exclusive access to story previews, author commentaries, new book covers, and other cool stuff. We're creeping up on our next milestone goal. If we hit $200 in pledges, then fabulous metamorph artist Randall Fulton will produce an all-new black-and-white story illustration every month that we hit that goal. Want to help us make that milestone in November? Head to patreon.com slash author Chris Lester and make your pledge today. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or mp3 audio to metamorcityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, call area code 641-715-3900 and then enter extension 255082 followed by the pound sign. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash author Chris Lester, and my handle on Twitter is Ethereus, E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S. To converse with your fellow fans, join the Fans of Metamore City Facebook group. The link will be in the show notes. That's all for this week, folks. We'll be back next time with more fantastic adventures. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2013 and 2015 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, 
please visit creativecommons.org.